Welcome to the Wish Well Podcast, a women's integrative summit on health and wellness. A podcast hosted by Dr. Michelle Dang, a board-certified anesthesiologist and pain management physician with additional fellowship training in integrative medicine. This podcast will feature weekly episodes with women from all walks of life discussing their health and wellness journeys. Happy March, everyone. This is Dr. Michelle Dang with the Women's Integrative Summit on Health and Wellness, the Wishwell Podcast. Welcome to this week's episode number 59, Preventive Cardiovascular Health with Dr. Nicole Harkin. I did not realize, and it has been such a crazy whirlwind couple of months of 2021, I'm sure many of you can relate, that I didn't realize that I missed February, which was Heart Month, uh, American Heart Month. And so this episode is perfect for Heart Month. Unfortunately, it is already the first week of March when I'm releasing this, but this is still a super informative episode. I'm super excited to bring to you all this particular episode. And I was really excited to bring Dr. Harkin on the podcast just because I personally had a lot of questions regarding lipid panel and diet and exercise, lifestyle modifications as it relates to cardiovascular health. I think it's a super important topic, particularly for women. And if you have any genetic predisposition to cardiovascular disease or if you are having, you know, a lot of questions regarding what you can do to help mitigate any of your risk factors, then this is definitely your episode. I hope that you enjoy this week's episode. As I mentioned, Dr. Nicole Harkin is a board certified cardiologist. She comes on to share so much information about cardio- cardiovascular health, especially as it pertains to women. She discusses lifestyle modifications such as diet and exercise, and then she additionally goes into a discussion at the very end on the actual lipid panel and what all those little numbers mean. And um, so I am so excited to have her on. She moved across the country recently and started her own telecardiology practice, Whole Heart Cardiology. She's currently licensed to practice in New York, California, and Florida. Her advice to you all is to focus on prevention and lifestyle changes now, progress over perfection. Lifestyle can dramatically reduce risk even in those with a high genetic risk. You can find out more information about her on Nicole Harkin MD on Instagram. You can also visit her website www.wholeheartcardiology.com and you can sign up for her newsletter and learn more about her practice. If you have social media and you head on over to her Instagram page, I know that she posts a lot of fun videos and also some tips, some advice, a lot of informative posts, and she is also featured on quite a bit um, in terms of videos and so on. So a lot of great information out there. I think that we can all use some of this information. So I really do hope that you enjoy this episode. I have a lot of exciting things coming up. I still have so many great topics to be released. So I do hope that you tune in every week to catch up on some of these topics and episodes, and I would so greatly appreciate it if you do like 
what you're listening to to please go to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. You can also leave me a comment on wishwell.health on Instagram and I post all of the full bios from our guests on our blog, which is wishwell.health.blog. So definitely subscribe. You can read so much more information about all of our guests on the blog, and you can also leave me a comment there as well. You can always reach out to me. I'm always available on social media. My Instagram is MD. And so I look forward to hearing from some of you. And I know some of you are listening. And if you are, um, and you see me in person, I always love hearing that you are tuning in. Actually, the other day I was at a training or a staff meeting at the studio that I teach at in terms of fitness. And one of the fitness instructors told me that she sent one of her clients a link to one of my podcast episodes. And I can't remember which one it was, but um, they're all good. But it was super fun and super exciting for me to hear that people are listening and sharing the episodes. I definitely do appreciate if you find a good episode that you listen to and you really like, please, please feel free to share amongst your friends or colleagues or clients or whoever it is, if it's a topic that can de- they can definitely relate to. So definitely much more topics to come, much more exciting things to come. I hope that you all stay safe, stay healthy. I, as always, wish you health and wellness, and I will talk to you all next week. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Michelle Dang with the Wish Well Podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Nicole Harkin. She and I connected over social media probably a month or so ago, and I'm so happy to have her here. She is a board-certified cardiologist who recently, in the middle of a pandemic, made the cross-country move from New York and now is in San Francisco. Definitely we'll chat a little bit about that. And she is here today to talk to us all about preventive cardiovascular health, which is so important, especially for women to talk about and lots of things changing recently. So definitely want to get her expert opinion about that. So welcome, Nicole. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. We're so happy to have you here and really excited to have you come on to talk specifically about cardiovascular health. But before we get into all that, share with us a little bit about your journey into this field and what you're doing now. Absolutely. So um, I finished cardiology fellowship about five years ago. Um, I was at NYU for fellowship um, and which is a you know, fairly traditional cardiology program, um, but it has a very strong preventive cardiology um, department as well. And so throughout my fellowship was able to work with a lot of the amazing preventive cardiologists at that program. Um, I also became board certified in lipidology, which is the the study of cholesterol. and it's so crazy. There's a field of lip- lipidology now. I know. I know. It's like the really, really dorky group of, of doctors. But yes, <laughs> um, it, amazingly enough, there is a sub sub specialty in 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 lipids. Um, so did do that, um, and have always also been very interested in, um, in precision medicine as well as lifestyle medicine and the power of, uh, nutrition, um, to prevent and and treat chronic diseases. Uh, so I've been practicing cardiology for five years now in, um, Manhattan, 
and um, really, really have enjoyed um, my experiences in uh, different private practices there. Um, but recently moved, as you said, to San Francisco with my family um, for my husband's job. And at that time decided to launch a preventive telecardiology practice uh, called Whole Heart Cardiology. Um, and the focus of that is to help individuals um, treat and prevent um, cardiovascular disease, um, both with traditional um, cardiology, um, as well as precision, nutrition, and lifestyle changes. Awesome. Definitely much needed, especially during this time when a lot of people are stuck in their homes and not really able to go out to see their doctors to be able to offer telecardiology is super amazing and and awesome. And so what made you shift from just a fully traditional, you mentioned fully traditional practice in New York, um, to moving cross country and then starting this whole new venture. So I've been interested in cardio in, in telecardiology and telemedicine, um, as a, uh, venue to treat and manage chronic diseases. Um, I think it's, it's just such a convenient way for patients to, um, manage high blood pressure, high cholesterol, diabetes, um, things like that, um, that don't necessarily require in person care. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you can just, um, really achieve so much with, with virtual care. That's so much more convenient to, to everybody. Um, so it's really, you know, how we should have been treating chronic disease for some time. Obviously there's, there's many reasons why, uh, patients need to, um, come into the visits to see, you know, their doctor in person. Um, mm-hmm. certainly if they're having concerning symptoms that require a physical exam or something like that, but, um, for, for medication titration and counseling and behavior change, um, telemedicine is just fantastic for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was, um, just practicing sort of traditional cardiology in, in New York. Um, as I said, I'd been interested in, in both uh, cholesterol management as well as lifestyle changes for some time. And so was starting to get patients coming to see me from all over the state um, to focus specifically on, on that. And um, so when we made this co- cross-country move, um, I decided that particularly, as you said, with the pandemic and, and patients really seeking that uh, home-based care, um, I decided to, to go ahead and launch my own thing. And it it's been, I've received, you know, um, it, patients have been really enthusiastic so far. So that's been really exciting. Well, congratulations on that new venture. I know that must've been really challenging in the midst of a pandemic to start your own practice. And so about telecardiology, so are you able to see patients outside of the state kind of all over or their specific states? Um, how does that work? Yeah. So, um, despite all of our advances, um, Mm -hmm. medicine is still quite siloed, um, and very regional. So, um, in order for a physician to see a patient, you have to be licensed in the state that they're located. So I'm, um, located or I'm licensed in New York, uh, California, and Florida. So those are the three states that I'm currently seeing patients. Um, although I get inquiries all the time from other states. So as the demand increases, um, I do plan to, to, to get licensed in other states as well. Um, so, so yeah, it's kind of still very, very regional, which is, is frustrating as someone who, uh, you know, wants to be able to provide care for, for anyone who needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, those, those are the laws that we have now. And hopefully things as, as telemedicine becomes more accepted and, and patients, frankly, um, probably will be the driver of this as they demand um, to be able to see the doctor they want to see, mm-hmm. um, regardless of where they're located. Hopefully um, some of these things will start evolving um, with the times. 
Yes, for sure. And I know with the pandemic, I think that, you know, some of the rules have been um, changed a little bit just to allow people more access to care. Yeah. So there's been some temporary changes with certain states. It's really tough to keep track of Mm -hmm. who's allowing what. Um, So many of us are operating on kind of the just be safe, safer rather than sorry, because no one knows when those things are going to change. And so you don't want to be stuck in a position where you're practicing across borders. Um, without permission. (laughs) Well, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about um, your topic, which is preventative cardiovascular health. And can you tell the listeners a little bit about in terms of cardiovascular health, um, since this is a women's health and wellness podcast, um, what are some of the differences between men and women when it comes to cardiovascular health? Absolutely. I love this topic. Um, So first and foremost, um, just to make sure that all of your listeners are aware, um, and hopefully uh, many of them are at this point, but cardiovascular disease is not a man's disease. Um, It is in fact the number one killer of women in the United States as well as worldwide. Um, And and so that's just really important to recognize um, because we still have both providers and patients who who just don't realize the the immense impact um, that cardiovascular disease has on our health. Um, And so so just starting from that framework, um, thinking about the different ways in which women um, are affected by cardiovascular disease, um, you know, we certainly, the, the traditional risk factors that many of us are probably aware of still apply high blood pressure, high cholesterol, smoking is actually a big one for women, um, being above our ideal body weight, family history, those sort of things. Um, but then kind of getting into some of the more specific risk factors that apply to us as women, um, uh, definitely the pregnancy related risk factors. So any history of high blood pressure during pregnancy, um, called gestational hypertension or preeclampsia, as well as gestational diabetes, which is high sugars during pregnancies, those actually increase our risk of future cardiovascular disease. Um, and so that sometimes gets lost in, in the mix. Obviously, um, postpartum period of time is, is a very intense time for, mm-hmm. for women, a lot going on. Obviously, everyone's you know really focused on, on baby. Um, but I think it's really important that women who've been affected by a complication of pregnancy Um, such as the ones that I mentioned, are just aware that that does increase their risk of cardiovascular disease going forward. Um, And so, uh, you know, that period of time in our 20s and our 30s and our 40s when we're younger, and um, it's really important to then start making any sort of tweaks and changes that we can make um, to reduce our risk of cardiovascular disease in the future. Excellent. And I know recently, I mean, I don't even know what time frame. maybe within the last five or 10 years, or maybe, maybe even longer, there's been a lot of talk about different changes in terms of the diet, because back then it was, you know, all about the low fat, low carb diet. What are some changes um, now recently that they're recommending in terms of diet? Yeah. So most of the major guidelines, including the American College of Cardiology guidelines, focus on a fairly plant forward um, uh, nutritional guidance. So the emphasis at this point is on um, whole grains, fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, legumes, which are beans um, mostly, um, and then also some fish um, as sort of what should make up the, the predominant um, portions of what we consume. Um, so, uh, so that's, as you said, a, a, a kind of a slowly gradually changing shift away from kind of the overarching low fat, um, which inadvertently resulted in, um, 
you know, what was meant was low saturated fat, which still holds true. Um, uh, but uh, that did, you know, result in, in some, in, in some confusion in terms of, okay, so what should we be eating? Um, so I think we're, we're really moving away from kind of low fat, um, instead of demonizing all fats, mm-hmm. um, focusing on sort of like what we should be eating, which is mostly plants, um, also potentially, um, fish as well. Um, and, um, the Mediterranean. And, and so kind of, I think what's important to realize is that, uh, that sort of, pattern of eating, um, there's multiple ways to, to kind of eat healthy. And so it's, whether it's more of a Mediterranean slant or a completely whole food plant-based slant, um, you know, depends on your risk factors, your preferences, um, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's where it can be really important, um, for individuals who do have risk factors for heart disease, um, to work with either a registered dietitian or a nutrition focused physician to sort of figure out the right, um, uh, dietary pattern for them. Yes. And I think that was, um, so a point that I wanted to make is that just as a person in general, whether it's a woman or a man or anybody, um, it gets very overwhelming because there are so many things out there. I mean, if you just Google best diet, there's Mediterranean anti-inflammatory whole foods, whole 30, um, even, you know, Atkins back in the day. So it just gets so overwhelming for just, um, you know, anybody. So if they're trying to make a change, say it's a woman who has been dealing with maybe weight issues, what is, is there like one type of diet that you would recommend? Or is there one thing that you would say, if you could cut something out, do this? Yeah. So I think the, um, I tend to recommend a fairly plant forward, um, plant-based diet. Um, but I think, um, getting away from kind of the labeling um, and just kind of an overarching concept. I think Mm -hmm. what's really the commonality that all of these healthy dietary patterns have is they're low in saturated fat, which is predominantly found in animal products. So um, red meat and processed meat being the top, but also cheese, um, dairy, and eggs. Um, And then, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) and then high in fiber. Um, and fiber is found in plants. So um, increasing your fiber intake um, a, and your overall plant intake um, is, is really one of the number one ways you can lower um, your cholesterol, lower blood pressure, all of those things. Um, so, so think fiber, high fiber, low saturated fat, um, and you're kind of on a, a good general path towards um, a heart healthy diet. Are there any resources that you would recommend to, to people who are just kind of starting out who, you know, most, many people do eat out a lot or go to restaurants. And so they're not really cooking their own food. What are some resources or what are some tips that you can give to them if they're wanting to make a positive change? Yeah. So, um, I actually just, not to make a a big plug for myself, but I just posted a blog post on my top 12 tips to um, adding more plants into your diet. Um, So, um, so there's, I've started um, writing a blog. So there's um, that. And what I would say is, um, is certainly starting slow um, and just trying to um, make small steady changes um, for sustainability is is the way to go. I have some patients who try to just like, they're super enthusiastic, which I love, but then Mm -hmm. it's, you know, making these 
wholesale massive changes becomes so much more difficult um, to, to keep up with. Um, and so uh, sustainable habit change, um, science has really shown that making these small incremental changes. So um, I, I typically will work with my patients to try to figure out um, kind of what's their typical diet and where can we make small tweaks to decrease the, the animal products and increase the fiber. Um, and um, so, so figuring out a way where you can kind of do a couple meatless Mondays and then go from there, make small um, tweaks to dishes that you already know how to make. Um, and, you know, like for instance, I, my dad always made this delicious um, bolognese. And instead of using mm. ground beef, I use lentils um, and some mushrooms and still get that umami flavor. Um, so ways to tweak um, dishes that you already make, um, you know, swapping out easy things like instead of using regular pasta, use a bean pasta or a whole grain pasta. Um, so there's little things that you can slowly do to um, kind of start transforming that, that diet that you eat now um, in terms of, and to make it more heart healthy. Um, and then for people that are looking um, to go, um, to get a little bit more handholding. Um, there's so many great um, programs out there. You know, Forks Over Knives is a great place to start. Um, mm -hmm. They have meal planners for relatively um, reasonable costs that can help people. Um, you know, they'll get a grocery list and a set meal plan, and then they just have to make it. Um, if you want to spend even more money, there's obviously, you know, like delivery type services um, that can deliver either meal kits or pre-prepared foods. Those can be really helpful for some people who, who just really don't know where to start. Um, and then Instagram is a great resource. There's tons of recipe creators on Instagram um, that, uh, that Minimal Baker, uh, Vegan Risha, there's tons of different sort of plant-based and plant-forward um, recipe creators on Instagram and all the recipes are free. Um, so I tend to just, I'll, I'll flag one and um, tend to try one new recipe, one or two re new recipes a week. And, um, and the ones that are easy and delicious, I keep in my repertoire and kind of keep experimenting. Um, and I think the other big tip is just, is just be kind to yourself. Um, progress over perfection for mm -hmm. sure. Um, because it's easy to get your, get frustrated um, if you know you have a really busy day and you mm -hmm. just eat out of the whatever or take out. Um, it's fine, we all do that, move on, tomorrow's a new day. Excellent tips. And I also will say I love to cook. And so I think for people who do not really cook, it can be a little bit challenging. And I do have to say, I've tried the meal planning kits where they send you the things and you cook on your own. Um, I think those, that's a great way to kind of just get started. And also if you, it's hard to cook for yourself. So if you have a family, um, getting everybody involved, so everybody can be on the same page definitely helps as well. Absolutely, for sure. Um, and those recipe things are great too. Even if you already have, um, you know, you're pretty seasoned, um, sometimes I'll get in a rut and, you know, mm -hmm. and it's good to kind of recharge and restart and get some new fresh ideas. Um, and, and just definitely practice, right? So, um, so I've had lots of patients that um, when they start their journeys, don't feel comfortable cooking anything more than say like a grilled cheese. Um, mm -hmm. but you just kind of practice and go easy and go slow and try some of the easier recipes. And, um, and the more you do it, the better you get and the more fun it is too. For sure. And you have to start somewhere. I remember when I first started cooking, I had no idea what I was doing and I actually totally. didn't even start cooking fish until within the last couple of years. And now I love cooking fish. So it just takes a little bit of practice. Oh, totally. I mean, there's so many dishes that I was, 
unduly like intimidated by like mm-hmm. I, um, eggplants one that just always <laughs> never seemed to turn out for me, but you just keep trying it. And sometimes it, it doesn't go well. And, and now I feel like I, I'm confident and I can cook it. So, yeah. um, so yeah, it's, it's all about just experimenting, having fun and going easy on yourself. Great. Well, great tips on the diet and cooking. I want to just talk briefly, um, just because we are running out of time. I told you 20 minutes goes by so quickly. (laughs) It really does. (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about it in, um, in your experience with clinical lipidology. So I know many of us, if you do go to the doctor regularly, you'll get your labs once a year, once every couple of years, and then you get like your whole lipid panel. And, um, sometimes you're just like, what is this? And for me personally, I'll just share my experience. My HDL has always been borderline normal and I work out a lot. Um, I eat a lot of omega-3 fatty acid, you know, fishes and everything like that. And so at what point when you're looking at these labs, first of all, I don't know if you can do kind of like a brief explanation of the lipid panel. But also at what point I know genetically, my mom always has, you know, borderline normal um, HDL as well. And I have, you know, family history. So at what point is it genetics and at what point can you, you know, make your own adjustments to mitigate those risks? Yeah. So, um, this is like a podcast in and of itself. I know um, (laughs) it's like at the very end, (laughs) just really quickly. Um, no, so very brief overview in terms of the cholesterol panel and, um, and what to kind of briefly look at. So most people will get the standard lipid panel, um, which will give us, um, an idea of what the, our cholesterol is. Um, the LDL cholesterol, which stands for low density, um, lipoprotein cholesterol, is essentially the amount of cholesterol that's contained within um, the, uh, basically the little vehicles that are responsible for carrying cholesterol throughout our bloodstream. Um, And the ones that are in LDL particles um, are what we call astrogenic, meaning that they can, um, they're more likely to um, get into the arteries of our heart and the rest of our arteries in our body and cause problems. Um, And so that's why we call the LDL uh, cholesterol, the bad cholesterol. Um, and so we like to see that, um, as low as possible. Um, definitely, you know, below hundred, um, milligrams per deciliter is, is our goal for, for most people. Um, and then we also within the, the cholesterol panel, um, you'll see the total cholesterol, which is all the cholesterol that's within all the particles that we can measure. Um, I, I don't look at that as, as much, um, simply because someone can have, as you pointed out, an HDL, which is quote unquote, the good cholesterol. Cholesterol. Um, that's the cholesterol that con- is contained within the particles um, that tend to move the cholesterol out from the periphery and back um, towards the liver where it can get disposed of. Um, and so, um, so some people have a very high HDL and so their total cholesterol will look very high, um, which typically in and of itself is not a problem if it's because of their HDL. Um, and then, and then the triglycerides, um, which is the predominant source of the fat that's floating in our, our, um, bodies. So that's kind of the typical panel that we'll see. Um, the HDL, as you brought up is a very complicated story. Um, but as you point out, a lot of it tends to be genetically determined. Um, not many things that we found, um, can, can, it is a, a higher HDL is associated with a lower risk of heart disease. Um, but we've been very unsuccessful at modifying that with medication 
medications and and reducing cardiovascular risk. Um, so the story there is very complicated. It turns out it's it's probably much more to do with its um, what's called efflux capacity or basically its functionality um, mm-hmm. than really with the, the total number. So um, so we don't focus as much on manipulating that in general. Um, but getting back to the genetics question super quickly. Um, it is true that there's um, there's definitely genetic predispositions to um, to heart disease, certainly. Um, but what I'd like to leave your listeners with is that um, you know we've seen through different uh, studies that even in individuals who are at um, a high, much higher risk um, uh, of cardiovascular disease because of their family history, um, we've, we see that um, even those individuals um, can make certain lifestyle changes, notably with, with diet, exercise, um, weight, and not smoking being the big ones. Um, and they can dramatically lower their risk of heart disease as well. So genetics are important, but they are definitely not um, destiny um, most of the time. And, and so um, certainly it can be, I, I, that's why I love sort of lifestyle changes and lifestyle medicine, because it's really empowering to people. I have lots of patients who come to see me who, um, you know, their father had a heart attack at age 50 and, um, they just are really despondent that, that they're nearing 50 and they are worried it's going to happen to them. Um, and that, that doesn't have to be the case. And there's lots of things we can focus on to try to prevent that. Great. That was a great answer to a very complicated question. Um, so one last question. I know that when it comes to making lifestyle changes, it's not just about diet and what we're eating, but it's also about exercise. But, you know, for many people, it can, like I mentioned earlier, it can just feel very overwhelming. So would you recommend if somebody's trying to make those changes, would you recommend doing a little bit of both or focusing on the diet first or focusing on the exercise first, or just, it just depends on the person. Yeah, I think that depends on the person. And I think that's where it's really important to do some introspection. Um, and sometimes again, working with someone who can help you sort of tease all of that out. Um, but you know, most importantly is, is to meeting people where they're at. Mm -hmm. So, um, so if you're, so I think doing some introspection, figuring out where are you at, what can you achieve realistically um, with everything else that's going on in your life, and what what do you feel like is what you're able to change first. Um, I think that in terms of dietary changes, um, we can certainly make small little tweaks um, uh, quite easily and have a pretty large impact. So I tend to start there. Um, but if people are really enthusiastic about, about increasing their exercise or making changes there, then, then we start there. Um, I, I tend to recommend that, that people focus on, on one sort of goal at a time, mm-hmm. um, just again, um, to not make it too overwhelming. Um, but there are certain people who, who just need to make that huge overhaul all at once. Um, you know, we always have the, the, the smoker who comes in and says, I'm quitting and they quit cold Turkey mm-hmm. and they're done with it. And that's it. That's mm-hmm. not most of us though. Right. So, right. um, so, so yeah, so making those small incremental changes and focusing on one specific and attainable goal at a time, um, usually leads to, to the best, uh, chance of success. Excellent. And I know I said that was the last question, but I do have one more question. <laughs> so when it comes to exercise, um, and this may be another episode in and of itself, when it comes to exercise, is there like a best exercise for cardiovascular health? Is it keeping your heart rate at a specific 
um, um, amount for a specific amount of time? Is it running? Is it, I mean, I know, I know the specific type of exercise may vary uh, depending on the individual, but everybody has all these formulas in terms of where their heart rate should be and for how long. So is there a general rule when it comes to the best type of exercise for cardiovascular health? Yeah. So, um, so again, as you said, it totally depends on, on individuals and their, um, individual goals and all of that, but a good rule of thumb is, um, so the ACC and AHA guidelines, they, we recommend a total of 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise a week. Um, and so you can break that up into however, whatever chunks of time you want, which I think is great because, you know, sometimes you've got 20 minutes, sometimes you've got 40 minutes. Um, so you can sort of, as long as you're hitting about that ballpark, um, studies have shown that, that individuals who get about that amount of exercise per week um, have the lowest um, risk of cardiovascular disease. Um, and then moderate intensity, rather than worrying too much about heart rate, um, we, if you're working with a trainer, um, you can kind of focus on the heart rate based on, on age. Um, but I think for most of us, um, just focusing on perceived effort is typically the best way um, to kind of get a sense of where you should be aiming. So moderate intensity um, typically means, you know, jogging, um, uh, you know, feeling slightly out of breath and like your heart's racing, but not like you're going to, you know, pass out, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, the other, so if you don't want to do, if you want to focus more on vigorous activity, which is what, um, many people, um, do now hit bootcamp type stuff, um, uh, cycling and spinning, um, where you're really out of breath, that would be considered more vigorous activity. And that would be, um, it would be recommended to have something more like 75 minutes of that per week. So you can sort of mix and match. Um, I think we're increasingly realizing the importance of resistance training as well. Um, mm -hmm. so trying to fit that in as well. Um, and then there's interesting, you know, data coming out about some of the, the hit um, and interval training type stuff, um, which, which can be good as well. Excellent. So many options nowadays. I mean, pre-pandemic, yeah. obviously, but, but even, even home exercising. So, um, so yeah, so definitely thank you so much for taking your time out to talk to us about all these topics. I know there's so many more that we can spend so much time talking about. Um, but lastly, if you can share with everybody how they can reach you. Yeah. So, um, if they want to sign up for their, my newsletter or, um, or just read more about the practice or become a patient, um, I'm at www.wholeheartcardiology.com. Um, and then I'm most active on Instagram at Nicole Harkin MD. Awesome. Well, again, Nicole, thank you so much for taking your time out to share with us today. I know, like I said, there are so many more topics that we probably would want to expand upon. So maybe you can come back in the future so you can expand on it a little bit more. But other than I'd that, I'd love thank you to. <laughs> There's so much we can talk about, but thank you I so know. much again. <laughs> Absolutely. My pleasure. I love chatting about this stuff. So anytime. Awesome. Take care. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wish Well podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe and follow along every week for new episodes. You can find us on Instagram at wishwell.health and at our website, wishwell.health.blog. Until next time, I wish you health and I wish you wellness.